Alpha. A little bit better. I want to introduce myself really quick. If you guys do not know me, my name is Angela, and I am on staff here with Chi Alpha. I have been working for the ministry for, this is the beginning of year eight. Long time. I know, right? <laughs> Two years is a given year, and this is now my sixth year on staff. Um, before that, I was involved as a student, and so I have been involved in Chi Alpha for this is now going to, at the end of this year, be 12 years. Think about this. I started my journey with Chi Alpha when y'all were starting like kindergarten, elementary school. I know, I'm old. Anyways, over the past 12 years, there's been a lot of crazy fun things. There's been a lot of just crazy things. We've had the good, the bad, the ugly, the things we don't talk about, and the things that we laugh about. But I will tell you this, in 12 years, this ministry has changed my life. And if there's one thing that I could say to you guys is give it your all because Jesus in this ministry will also change yours. So many of you guys know me, so I don't know why I introduced myself. But if you're new here, welcome. Come back. Um, I'm not the normal speaker. It's usually our campus pastor, Tom. But um, he, for some reason, thought to give this crazy redhead the microphone every once in a while. So I'm up here. Um, so big thanks to him, and hopefully he doesn't regret it later. Um, but if you know me, you know I am a storyteller. I love, love, love to tell stories. And that's because I grew up in a family that loves to tell stories. And the more outlandish, the better. We always love to have them be believe, be the truth, but almost on this verge of being unbelievable. Um, and I know last week, without my permission, Tom made a joke about how my family, or not about my family, but more about how the Lord speaks to me maybe in hillbilly. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> Toothless people and banjos. Let's go. But... <laughs> um, he also got to spend just probably about 30 minutes with a small fraction of my family on Friday, and what I hope would maybe change his mind only solidified it. <laughs> and so by the end of it, his direct, and I want to get this quote right, was, um, your family is like a Branson Hillbilly comedy skit. <laughs> so all that to say, we're going to have fun tonight, so everybody shake and get loose. We're going to talk. We're going to be real. And Expect to laugh, maybe expect to cry, but also expect to hear my accent. It's just going to happen is what it is. But um, So beyond being a storyteller, I'm also known as being a pretty funny person. I like to live life and just be crazy and have fun. And so when I started to write my message, I sat down to do the stereotypical thing that I do. It's like, okay, I've got my scripture. I've got my points. I've got my sub points. Now I need that really good opening story, like that funny one that's going to have you guys like laughing and like crying because you're laughing so hard. And so I go to write it, and I've got nothing. I'm like, okay, maybe it's just writer's block. Maybe I'm just stressed. What's going on? And I go to sit down to do it again, and nothing again. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Jesus, your Holy Spirit, like, be down. Help me out here. And instead of getting a funny story, I hear from the Lord, hey, Angela, you rely too much on humor, and I want to push you out of your comfort zone. So, of course, I'm like, yes, Lord, I'm your servant. Use me as you will. No, like that. If you know me, that's not what I'm going to say. Um, my response was, crap. 
can you take that out of online? Like when you post it? Okay, whatever. So anyways, the Lord did not leave me high and dry without anything. Thank goodness. Um, I want to keep you all entertained and engaged and not on your phones. By the way, we can see you when you're on your phones, just a side note. Um, but also want to just really relate to you guys and show you a personal side of me and my life. Um, but he brought to my memory that we have mission trip signups coming up really soon, right? How many of y'all have been on a mission trip with Chi Alpha? Change your life. So that is about the gist of the singing you'll hear from me tonight, too. But for three years, I was honored and privileged to lead the trip to Atlanta. Um, Atlanta is a city that I love. I had not been on a mission trip for a long time. And so Tom was like, you're going to lead this like three years ago. I'm like, sure. I've never been on the trip. How is that going to work out? And so I had these preconceived ideas of like, I'm going to go to the city of Atlanta and I'm going to walk the streets and like these pimps and like these homeless people are going to come up to me and like people are going to throw their drugs down at my feet and I'm going to lay hands on them and it's going to be great. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's not what happened, right? Um, instead, the Lord kind of just flipped my life in a sense and what I thought of ministry at that time, especially missions trip. And Maureen, if you want to put that picture up. Um, in Atlanta, a lot of what we do is um, we reach out to at-risk children, um, so children caught in the projects, um, we also do a lot of outreach to women who are caught in commercial sex trafficking. And a big, big thing that we do is we reach out to the homeless. And so um, in Atlanta, there was, until recently, a homeless shelter called Pine. Um, it housed 900 men. And that doesn't even touch the fraction of homeless people in Atlanta. It doesn't even touch it. Um, but 900 men. And across the street from it is a park called Pine Street Park, um, where men that could not get a bed or women, because women were, weren't allowed, and sometimes even children would um, sleep at night and then hang out during the day. So here I am with my preconceived ideas of what a mission trip should be like. You can lay hands and like people are just going to fall to their knees. And we go and our first um, outreach is lunch in the park, right? And so it is what it sounds like, lunch in the park. <laughs> and so we serve spaghetti, and so we're setting up the tables. We got the spaghetti out. We're serving, and I laid hands on people, and like 10 people came to know the Lord, right? No, like not at all. What happened was I sat down at a table, and you can kind of see me in the picture. I'm like the gray shirt with the all kinds of hot mess hair over here. Um, <laughs> that's actually me. Um, we're not allowed to really take a ton of pictures because we don't want people to feel even more objectified than they already are. And so um, uh, one of our alumni who's now serving in Atlanta, Amber, sneakily took this picture. You can see like the part of the water cooler. <laughs> um, but I sat down at a table with a woman that we'll call Miss Deborah. And so we're talking, we're just um, sharing things back and forth, very surface level, when one phrase came out of my mouth that would change the trajectory of that conversation, but also my way of thinking. And it simply was, so Miss Deborah, tell me about your life. And so she began to tell me her story. And she really didn't hold anything back. And so Miss Deborah was um, originally from South Carolina. She was making her way to Texas, but had kind of got stuck in Atlanta. Um, she was going to Texas to be with her children. And she had told me in South Carolina, she had a husband um, who had HIV that progressed to AIDS, and he passed away from it. 
So after he passed away, she started to go down a downward spiral. Um, her children disowned her. She had contracted HIV from him, um, and she had chosen to, instead of um, buy her retrovirals, she used any money that she had towards drugs. So when she arrived in Atlanta, she had no home, she had no money, she had no family, she had nothing, and she had a terrible drug habit. And so she took to what a lot of women in Atlanta do um, is working the streets, being a prostitute. Um, and that's how she would get any money that she had. And so I'm listening to this woman just tell me her whole life, her whole story. Um, and she had kind of told me, like, she's like, I live here in this park. Um, since I've been in Atlanta, I've been hungry. Um, I've been an outcast because people don't want to touch anybody with AIDS. Like, what, what, if, it, what if I get it? Like, you know, that fear. Um, she also had been mugged, and she'd actually been raped in that park just a few feet from where we were sitting. And so here's this woman telling me all about her life and her story, but she ends it with, but sweetheart, God is so good, and he'll see me through this. And so I was, like, ready to move on. It's like, okay, like, go talk to the next person or just pray for her. When she turned the tables on me, and she said, so, so sweetheart, baby, baby girl, they like to say it a lot, baby girl, tell me about you. And I'm like, you know. And so, of course, I've been trained to go on missions trips. I'll give the stereotypical, I've got my, like, five-minute testimony. It'll be great. And I start to tell it, and the Lord's like, you need to tell her more. And I'm like, mm. And he's like, and you need to tell her about your dad. And so for many of you that know, um, I had an amazing man of God for a father, but he passed away when I was 17. And kind of when he passed away, um, it sent me towards a downward spiral, and I walked away from the Lord a lot. And so the Lord was stretching me to tell her that, my whole story, not holding anything back. And there were parts of that story that to, to this day even, only I know, the Lord knows, Missy Trask knows, and Miss Debbie knows. There's certain parts that I just haven't shared. And so I shared those things with her. And as soon as I'm done, I look over and there's tears streaming down her eyes. And she, will s she said something to me that I'll never forget. She took her hand, her, my hands in hers and held them. And she said, baby girl, I'm sorry you had to go through that. And I just sat there for a minute. I'm like, me? <laughs> like, why are you so sad for me? I haven't went through some of the things that you've went through. I haven't faced the hardships that you went through, but yet you feel sorry for me? I spent that entire morning with Miss Deborah, and I saw her multiple times throughout that week, and I would always wave to her each time I'd see her on the streets, and I would just smile or I'd give her a hug. And it was in that moment that the Lord really changed my mind as far as people's stories. I learned that every story needs to be listened to no matter what, no matter how tragic or how picture-perfect your story is important, and it's worth listening to. And there's a lot of stories that we can tell from our lives, and they could be humorous or heartfelt, but altogether they tell our life story. And I know that some of you, hopefully all of you, are involved in a life group. And so the first couple weeks, you probably shared those. If you did, great. I encourage that. Um, if you feel like you didn't share all that you could, I encourage you to share more. And if maybe you weren't there the first few weeks, Take some time this week. I'm pretty sure your leader would be okay with a little uh, change in schedule and have you share your life story. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight is um, we're going to talk about make your mark, the power of your story.
See, there's a lot of ways that we can choose to make our mark in life. But I feel like one of the strongest ones and the ones that the Lord has laid on my heart is that we can make our mark through the power of our testimony. See, everyone has a story here. You are not exempt from this. For some of you, it may be a mystery novel, wondering what am I going to do with the rest of my life. For some of you, it may be something like a farmer farmer's almanac because you like pigs and cows so much yeehaw um (laughs) not pointing anyone out in particular um for some of you unfortunately with your current grades it may seem like it's like a horror novel and for a select really cool group of people you may want it to be kind of like this really great love story and she's asking all of you to intercede that maybe the next chapter or maybe even the next book in this series would really be that page turner where things kind of change a little bit but we'll we'll put that aside cuz we don't know who that would be talking about um, <laughs> so hallelujah um everyone has a story and it has value. See, the Bible is also littered with people who have stories. And I love, love, love going to the Word to find things that are practically applicable because it's all over it. And so I was thinking, like, who do I want to talk about tonight and their story? And, of course, one of my favorite stories is the woman at the well, right? It's, like, seriously one of my favorites. And she's kind of like Nicodemus that Tom talked about last week, the unconventional, not part of the 12 disciples. Um, But I really wanted to tell her story. Granted, it's a heck of a ton of verses. And so y'all are going to get story time with Ange. Okay, y'all ready? It's going to be the paraphrased version. Please do not tell your pastor back home about this. Do not quote me like I'm the NIV. We're going to go with it, okay? So John chapter 4, one chapter past where Tom was talking last week, and it starts out something like this. It's not going to be as funny as you think it is, but anyways. Jesus is traveling. He's doing his thing, and he is going from Judea, and he's heading to Galilee, and he has to go through Samaria. Side note, Jews, Samaritans don't mix. just doesn't work. And so, of course, you know, Jesus is doing this thing. He's having to walk a ton, and lo and behold, the man gets thirsty. And so he decides, like, you know what? I should probably stop and get something to drink. And so he stops at Jacob's well to get something. Well, just at this time, a woman comes. She is um, needing to get water herself, and Jesus is like, hey, you want to get me a drink? And so the woman wasn't shocked. She was, like, shook, like that next level, because He's a Jew, and she's a Samaritan woman. So she addressed the elephant, the camel, the large animal that's in the room, and she's like, why are you asking me? Like, why are you having anything to do with me? And so Jesus, in his very Jesus way, was like, girl, if you knew the cool stuff that God had for you, and if you knew who you were talking to, you would be asking me for water because I can give you living water. And she, of course, was very perplexed and like, what in the world is going on? And began to question, like, how are you going to do this? You don't have a rope. You don't have a bucket. How is this going to work? And who did he think he was? Was he that important? And Jesus replied back with, this water here isn't going to satisfy you, but I have water that will give you eternal life. So, of course, she wants it now. You get eternal life, you know, eternal youth, whatever. But Jesus is like, go get your husband, 
right? Very random, but not so random. Go get your, go get your hubby. She's like, well, about that, I don't have one. <laughs> Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. Um, knew that. Um, actually, you've had five husbands, and the guy that you're with now, you're not even married to him. You're kind of just having fun. We'll put it like that. Yeah, girl, you're right. <laughs> and so she's like, uh, you're a prophet. Um, and begins to ask him these theological questions and like all these different things and Jesus kind of gets to the gist of it and says you know some of these questions you're asking those answers don't matter what matters is that there's a time coming and it's now that people are going to rise up true worshipers and they're going to worship God in spirit and in truth and he's looking for those people and she's like, well, yeah, I know the Messiah Christ. Like, he's coming, and when he comes, he'll answer all these questions that I have. And Jesus just goes, yep, that's me. And so in that moment, the disciples come back, kind of wondering why in the world Jesus is interacting with her, but none of them have the, the guts to ask him. Um, and the woman lays down everything, leaves it at the well, and runs and tells the people about what she has just seen and heard. There you go, John chapter 4, so many verses as told by Ange. So please don't quote me. That is not an NLT in any way. Um, but people may often glance at this story and just be like, oh, it's another story in the Bible. Bible, that's really cool. Um, and some people may seem some, see some significance. But to me, this is a beautiful depiction of what it looks like when Jesus intersects our story and the chapters of our lives are forever changed. And so tonight we're going to look at some important reminders of what it means to um, make a mark through our story. And just to give you all a sneak peek, kind of like the table of contents for tonight, um, it, they are knowing God as a present participant, remembering that in our story the choice is ours, and lastly that our story is part of a much larger one. So the first reminder, that the Lord is a present participant in our story. And so now when we talk about the Lord being present in our stories, we can be tempted to put on that super Jesus Christian-y face and be like, of course he does. Like, Jesus is always with me. And, like, start singing a hymn or Julie would sing the hymn, oh, he walks with me and he talks with me. I'm not going to sing it. Could have cued her to do it, but I didn't. Um, but often we struggle with two major misconceptions. One, that Jesus is a puppeteer. And the other one, he just simply isn't interested. And so the first one, he's a puppeteer. Now, while the Lord is the creator and the author of our stories, he doesn't control every aspect of it. There's this beautiful thing called free will. And he gives us choices. And we're going to talk about those later on, but I wanted to hit on them briefly. See, he doesn't control us into making certain decisions, but he wants us to seek his guidance. He'll always give us opportunities, and he'll open and close doors, but it's not like the Lord is going to shove us through them, right? He wants us to seek him. He wants us to look to him. And by not being a puppeteer, it even more shows that Christianity is not just a religion, but a true relationship with Christ that is founded on trust and faith. So misconception number two that the Lord is disinterested. And this is one that people struggle with the most. Um, and being by disinterested, I'm really focusing on the idea that he isn't present in our lives. 
And so it's not a matter of whether or not God is present in our story. It's whether or not that we acknowledge that he's present in our story. And so I don't know about you guys, but I know that often in my life it's easy that when things are going great that, you know, I see how God's involved in my life. God blessed me with this. God did that. You know, I joke with my life group, I'm just so grateful, thankful, blessed, right? Should have had Hallie come up here and do it. She can do a great imitation of me doing it. But, yes, I'm just so grateful, thankful, blessed. False. It's those moments when life throws you upside down that you can often wonder, God, where are you? You must not care about me because things would be a lot different now if you actually did. Also, I'm a crier, so just get used to that. (laughs) Hallelujah. Um, And so um, this isn't something that was highly publicized, but the last three weeks have been really hard for my family. Like, they have so. Um, I don't know if you heard that, but I said the word sucked. Um, (laughs) It was three weeks ago Monday that I got a phone call that no one ever wants to get. Um, I was at Monday night prayer, and on the other end of the phone was my mom's doctor, who is a family friend. And so he was calling to tell me my mom had went in for routine blood work, and um, when they got the results back, they were saying that my mom had leukemia. And I would love to say that I handled it well and with complete trust and, like, I was great. But I would be lying and none of you would believe me. I was a mess. Like a crying, overly emotional, angry at the world mess. And to say that I'm perfectly fine now would be a lie. It's still hard. See, on the outside, I was a mess. But on the inside, I was even worse. I was angry. I was bitter. I did not want to worship. In fact, the Tuesday night after I found out, I stood back there and I did not raise my hands at all. I didn't want to spend time with Jesus and I, heck, did not want to be around people. See, I kept asking God, why is this, this isn't fair. Why is this happening? Why would you do this to her? Why aren't you doing something? And so my breaking point was actually the first day of fall retreat. See, my mom had to go back in for testing to confirm the diagnosis. And, like, we had tons of people praying. We were believing that, like, it wasn't going to be cancer and that it was just some infection and that she was going to be okay. But as we were setting up, I got a phone call that told me the opposite. And so I answered the phone because I need to always answer the phone, right? And um, it was my family saying that it was cancer, and that um, they were really leaning it towards it being acute leukemia, which means my mom would spend the next three to five months, her last three to five months, in a hospital. So I say that to be like, at this moment, this girl was at her breaking point. I w- or so I thought. <laughs> I was done. <laughs> and so I was mad, and I didn't even know what to do. But then more happened. And I kept questioning more. See, um, we had to do even more testing, but it was going to take a week. And in that week, um, my mom had to be readmitted to the hospital because she was having possible adverse reactions. I actually left life, life group after leading one week and went to be with her. And what they found out wasn't adverse reaction, but actually she had developed heart failure on top of everything else. And I'm just sitting there being like... Jesus, where are you? Like, if you are here, you can do something. Let me know you're real. 
And so students, oftentimes when we have people in front of us with a microphone, we think, oh, they must have it all together. They, or they portray that they have it all together. I'm here to tell you that's false. And everything that's on these pages tonight, I am learning myself. Not that I've learned it already or that I'm going to, but I'm currently walking through it right now. So he's not disinterested. He's not a puppeteer. But how is he present? See, Jesus, he meets us where we're at. And he physically does this in the story by, it says in verse 6, Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well around noontime. See, nothing in Jesus' life was coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in the Lord. And so (laughs) um, that was just what it was. So we know why Jesus was there, but why was she? And so the scriptures say that her interaction with Jesus was around noontime. Historically, you know, I contacted a great historian, a.k.a. Tom Trask, and he let me know that historically women would not go to the well around noon. That's just not how it happened. They would normally go in the morning for for multiple reasons. It's how they started their day. Um, It was, you know, to avoid the heat. And it also was um, to have like a gossip hour before Snapchat and all that kind of stuff. There was women hanging out at the well. And so she was there, many believed, to hide from people because of her shame from her past and present mistakes. See, she was an outcast from Jews because she was a Samaritan. She was an outcast from her people because of her choices. See, she was a woman of a certain reputation, and it was no secret to anyone that people really shouldn't associate with her. See, the Lord also met her where she was at figuratively by meeting her in her circumstances. He did not put on the persona of, I am God, and I'm so high and mighty, But he was just another person that was willing to talk to her and hear her out. And so the Lord also meets us where we're at. During the last few weeks, the Lord has not been surprised by my humanly response. He kind of knew what was coming down the pipe anyways. But that doesn't mean that he left me alone either. Whether I wanted to admit it or not, God met me in my pain Because his heart was hurting for me and my family as well. See, in this story, for Jesus in order to, you know, um, meet her where she was at, he had to actively seek her out. He didn't have to acknowledge her. And by culture standards, he really shouldn't have. She was a woman and she was a Samaritan. Two things he probably shouldn't have talked to. But it was in this moment of intentionality that her life story was forever changed. And the Lord also seeks us out. And we have to remember that. We have to see that in our daily lives, that he does, and he finds a way to do that. He seeks us out, but he also makes himself known. And it was after having a conversation where the woman honestly thinks Jesus is a prophet that it unfolds in verses 25 and 26 where he reveals himself. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. See, he makes himself known in a variety of ways, but the one that I really see the most is that he does that through people. Over the past few weeks, I have had an overwhelming amount of support from this community. 
my life group has shown what it means to look like to actually live life with people. Not often do you see your leader as like this huddled fetal mess sometimes, but they would wrap their arms around me and tell me that it was going to be okay. I had some of them even text me and say, Angela, why don't you just see if you can just take some time for yourself? You do stuff for us. Do something for you. And I'm like, oh, you're great. Um, the leadership team was showering me with love and hugs, which I love hugs. Um, and my staff friends, and especially Tom and Missy, were the ones that were holding me up when I didn't think that I could do it anymore. And they still do because they're awesome. But... They showed me Jesus in the midst of my confusion, my anger, and my heartache. And see, Jesus shows that he's present in our life because he also shows that he is faithful. He always is. Even when we don't think it, even when we don't understand it, he is faithful. See, my mama is an amazing woman, and she has such incredible faith in the Lord, and I don't understand it. Like, anything could be thrown her way, and she's like, Jesus has got it. I'm like, I, yeah, sure, but mom. But that's just how my mama is. And so she was constantly reminding me that God had it under control. Even my brother, who's not actively serving the Lord, told me, sissy, God's got this. And so last Friday, Mom had her next big appointment, and um, we found out that she has chronic myeloid leukemia. Basically, this is a leukemia that is usual for young people, and my mom is not a young person. I'm almost 30. She had me when she was 36. Do the math. She's, she's in her mid-60s. Um, and honestly, it's very treatable, and it's on its way to curable. Her doctor said, and I can quote this, Darling, you will die someday, but it will not be from this disease. How cool is that? Like, <laughs> my mom, this bionic woman who has a fake hip, a fake knee, like all these different stuff, mid-60s, had to deal with me all my life. Um, she has a young person's disease, and they can't explain it in any way. He's like, this doesn't happen. And so my mom basically has to take a pill every day for the rest of her life or until they cure it, which I believe that's coming, and she'll be fine. Jesus was faithful, even when I didn't think he was going to be. So Jesus meets us where we're at, but he doesn't want us to stay there. The Lord doesn't seek us out to reveal who he is to us for us to stay the same. And that is our whole theme for this semester is discipleship. Great word. We should all do it. And you guys have probably talked about this in your life group, or you should be soon, precursor to that. But we do this through living life together, studying the word, accountability, and a big one is speaking the truth in love, of course. And so last week, Tom talked about truth bombs, right? You know? Um, in this story, to let's talk about truth bombs, okay? He's like, go get your husband. I don't have one. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know you don't. Like, literally, like, bomb blown right there. But he doesn't do this to be a jerk. I often think that maybe the Lord talks in sass because that's how I receive it. But I don't think he was being kind of sassy, snarky to this woman. What he was doing was getting her to reveal a true, deep part of who she was. And that's what discipleship is. 
We need to go below the surface. We need to get to the deeper parts of who we are, and we do that with other people. Like Tom said earlier in the semester, you can't disciple yourself, right? It involves somebody else. And I asked this question to a lot of my staff friends, hoping somebody would come up with an answer, but knowing if they didn't, it would prove my point. But I asked them, can you think of a story that has only one character? And they're like, oh, trying to rack their brains. And I'm like, yeah, I wanted them to be able to say none. And so to be safe, I'm going to say most stories only have or don't have just one character. There's supporting characters in it. And that's the same with our life. We're not supposed to uh, live life alone. There are supporting characters that come into our story and help us. But the thing is, is sometimes we have to choose to invite them into our story. And that's part of the second reminder. In our story, the choice is ours. And it puts to rest this misconception that Jesus is this puppeteer that's controlling everything that we do. And so really quick, some examples of choices that you will have to make in your story with Jesus. Number one, and actually inviting him into your story. The woman did that. When Jesus kind of dropped that truth bomb on her, she didn't run away. She invited him in even more. And we can do that by first accepting Jesus as our Savior, which if you haven't done that, please do. <laughs> Invite him in. Secondly, we do this by actually spending time with him, having a real relationship with him, and seeking his presence and guidance and being in tune with his Holy Spirit. Next, I talked about earlier, choosing to invite others in. It's that whole community, discipleship, living life together thing we talked about. The next one is choosing to trust God in his timing. Oh, <laughs> that one I don't like so much. There are going to be times, like I said in my story about my mom, that we wonder why. Like, why is this happening? Why now? Why, why, why? I'm sure Jesus may get tired of me saying why. But we wonder if he's really present. And we're wondering why is he allowing these things to happen. And I'm not saying that your feelings are unfounded, but I'll remind you of something that Thomas said this year, and I know Tom and Missy have repeated to me probably multiple times over the 12 years, and especially these past few weeks. Feelings are real, but that doesn't mean they're truth. We need to bring questions to the Lord. He's not surprised by it. He wants us to just be real with him and lay them at our feet. So the next one is choosing to not have shame in your story. So, fun fact, I used to do beauty pageants. <laughs> this is, uh, hey, what's up? I was a whole lot skinnier back then. Um, this is me circa 2007. Y'all were like seven, and I was 18. Um, but yes, I used to do beauty pageants, and they're always, I loved that dress. Sorry. Um, I can't look at it in the mirror because I'm like, man, I wish I still fit in that. Um, but there would always be a question and answer portion, right? And they would always ask, now, Angela, do you have any regrets? And of course, they wanted this answer of, I live a life with no regrets because all of my mistakes have helped mold me into the woman that I have become. Now, y'all may be angry when I say this. That is a crock of um, I don't believe that answer, and I would never say it. And this is probably why I didn't win this one. But instead, I said, I do have regrets. I have a lot. They probably thought I was a terrible person. But honestly, I do, even now. I have regrets. 
there are things that I would definitely go back and change because while each decision made me more and more into the woman that I am today, I believe the road there would have been a lot smoother if I would have made some better choices. So while we can, Morgan, can you please take that picture down? <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, oh, Angela, 2007. Um, while we have regrets, there's no room for shame in our story. It's in that shame that we lose our identity in Christ. See, past decisions may dictate our current direction, but they don't define who we are. Our stories are not used to put a title on who we are, but to show people who Christ really is. And in that, we have to be real about our stories. People are going to value the real you over a fairy tale any day. So, quickly, the next choice is you have to choose to hush the haters. Point blank. Whether it was the Jews, her own people, or even the disciples, this woman wasn't winning any popularity contest. Or, well, maybe not the good ones, at least. <laughs> um, but she just got what I just said. <laughs> Good job. Um, so even the disciples who were followers of Jesus, who were supposed to be loving on people, were up in arms because Jesus was interacting with her. And it said the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? There will always be the negative Nancys and the Debbie Downers in our lives. But we must remember that our worth and our identity comes from the creator and the author of our stories. And we must look to him for truth, not to people. Right? Sorry. So this last choice is one that Tom kind of talked, uh, talked about last week and is a good segue into what I was talking about this week. A good connecting point is we have to m choose to make our faith our own. Tom talked about faith last week. If you did not get to be here last week, please go to MizzouXA.com slash talks and listen to it. Um, it's really, really good. So, But um, in verses 39 through 42, it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you've told us, but because we have heard it from him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. It was the people in this story that heard his message and now had a choice to make. Were they going to have this faith themselves? They were going from having a faith based on someone else to a personal faith. And it wasn't just because what they had heard from the woman, but they had heard it from Jesus themselves. Part of discipleship and growing deeper in our faith is actually choosing for it to be our own. It's not our parents. It's not our youth pastors. It's not Tom, Missy's, or the staff. This is my faith. Deeper faith and making it our own is a byproduct of discipleship. So the last reminder I have is that our story is part of a larger one that must be shared. Now, we are the main character in our story, but everything goes back to the main theme, and that's the kingdom of God. It's as, as if our story is just one of multiple stories in this series that tells the story of Christ. Now, a Samaritan woman, who was once known as the hussy of her town, goes on to become someone who is known for spreading the gospel 
She's that unlikely disciple. She knew that this Jesus that she had just encountered had forever changed the rest of her life story, and she couldn't keep this chapter to herself. It says in scripture that we just read that she went off and she went and told more people, and many come, came to know the Lord. My question for us is do we live our lives in the same way? Do we daily live in a way that tells people that our life story has been forever changed by the greatest story ever told? And that's the story of Christ. Now, some of you may think, well, my story isn't dramatic enough or it's filled with all these past regrets. What I say is don't limit how God can use you and what you've been through. There are people in this world, people in your classes, people in your workplace, and I would dare even say our families, that their story could forever be changed by you sharing yours. They could see the change that Christ has made in you. They could be awed by your vulnerability. Or maybe, just maybe, they could relate to what you're going through. So, as I mentioned earlier in my story about Miss Deborah, when I was 17, I um, lost my dad. Um, my best friend, loved him. I wish you guys could meet him, because you all think that I'm a hoot. He was like 10 times, times worse. He was a character of all characters. And after that, I started running away from the Lord, and like I went on this downward spiral. I started clinging to things that weren't him. I just honestly had a, an eating disorder. I had problems with prescription pills, and I definitely had problems with good relationships with the opposite sex, which I like to just call a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> so um, I had become bitter, and I'd become angry, and I let a part of my story forever change my view, or what I thought was forever, change my view of God and myself. During my season of running away from the Lord, I would say, why me? <laughs> why this pain? Why do I have to go through this? And it felt as if the Lord was completely silent. And it was something that even after I came back to the Lord, I'll be honest, I'm human. I still wonder why. There are things I'm walking through right now that I'm like, Jesus, why? Where are you? I do things to serve you, and you're not here. So I'm real. I'm human, and I get it. But see, over the past 12 years, the Lord has re been revealing to me that every part of my story can be used to bring people to him, and even the most painful parts. And so I feel like you've heard enough from me, but I want to bring up a good friend of mine, Miss Mariah. Um, welcome her, she comes up. <laughs> to kind of share a moment when my story intersected hers. Okay, hi everyone. My name is Mariah. I am in Angela's life group, just to let you know. Sorry. <laughs> um, I first would like to live a, give a little background about myself. I grew up in a loving Christian family. Um, I was taught at a young age that God was the way of life. He would lead me through easy and hard paths. Fast forward to about four months ago. I was working complaining about how long my shift was. When I got the call that my dad had been in a terrible accident, he had a heart attack while driving his motorcycle and got hit head on. It was a terrible thing to go through losing your parent or your best friend. 
But with God, you can go through anything. At first, I'm not going to lie, I did turn my back on God. I would ask him, why would he take my daddy away from me? Or do you just like hurting me? I said mean things to God that I regret, but even though I said all those mean things, he still loves me. I began praying for someone to help me and support me through this. A couple weeks later, I came to Summer Welcome, and God blessed my mother. She, we went to the club fair, and she signed me up for every campus ministry there was, and I kept getting text messages from all these ones, but none really clicked. Um, I started my first semester at Mizzou, and this lady named Angela kept bugging me. <laughs> I mean, didn't give up. Now, I thank God for her not giving up on me. Angela kept wanting me to go to life groups, so I finally went. I left crying the happiest tears. I shared my story to the girls. They sat there and listened, truly listened to me. And that night, they began praying for me. Sorry. <laughs> I found the answer to my prayers. God led me to Angela, Angela, and he knew her story, too. God knew how much we related and connected to the story of losing our dads at a young age. Both of our dads passed from a heart-related problem. Sometimes it's crazy to comprehend that God knew that she was going to help me through this tragic accident, but she had lived it before. God knew Angela and my life group um, <laughs> were going to bring, bring me back to him. They were going to show me the love I needed and listen to my struggles. Since then, my friends in life group know my story and don't judge me for it, but love me for it. Angela has helped me just with daily struggles I have. They pray for me, and that is something that is an incredible feeling and will change your heart forever. So there's that. <laughs> um, and so kind of just showing the flip side of my story, which, by the way, this was out of her comfort zone, so, like, props to her for doing that. <laughs> she texted me at 9.30 this morning. She's like, here's what I'm planning on saying. I was like, wow, she's proactive. Um, but on the flip side, my side of it, I walked into life group. It was the very first week. And here's this girl sharing what I thought. I was like, did she read my diary? <laughs> like, from 12, like, what is going on? And as I would hear her talk, my heart began to break. You can ask the staff that were at the house the days after. My heart continued to break. But that night, the Lord said, Angela, my heart broke for you like this too. And so later that week, we went to Rollins, and we had yummy lunch. And we decided to tell more and more of our stories. And, like, they're creepishly similar. Like, even to the point of if you put our dads side by side in pictures, they look like they could be related. I'm like, this is really, really creepy. Um, and it was at the end of our conversation that I said to Mariah, and she probably remembers this, I know you have struggled with whether God is here for you or not. But what are the chances that he would lead you here to Mizzou to meet me, someone who also lost her dad at the same age during the same month from the same thing? If that doesn't prove that God <laughs> exists. It was when I left Rollins and I got into Keenan's car, which God bless Keenan Hollywood. <laughs> he picked me up that day and I was like so sobbing and he's just like guy girl cry I you yeah anyways <laughs> he, he handled it beautifully um, he drove me back and said 
um, I think Elizabeth Campbell's at the table if you really need to talk to somebody. <laughs> I'm like, I'll be okay, Keenan. <laughs> um, but it was when I got in the car that the Lord spoke this to my heart, and I will never forget this. He said, Angela, see, your story wasn't for you to experience heartache, but your story was meant to be used to forever change hers. And that's what I'm talking about tonight. This is why I've been rambling on for hopefully under 35 minutes. <laughs> Tom shaking his head, no. Um, that's why I'm up here tonight, is to tell you that you have a story you have experiences. You have moments from where the Lord has shown himself real in your life. And your story has power. And that power is the grace and the forgiveness and love of a Savior that forever changes people's story. And our story can be used to forever change someone else's. We are meant to share our story like the woman at the well. The question is, are you willing to do it? See, really quick to remind you guys, we have to remember that in our stories, he's an active pr participant. He is there, whether we believe it or not. Number two, the choice is ours. And number three, our story is a part of a greater one. So go ahead, bow your heads, close your eyes. <laughs>